Welcome to Ebenezer's Podcast, a podcast about hearing, understanding, and applying the Word of God to our lives. My name is Leighton Erickson, and I'm Ebenezer's Lead Pastor. Thanks for joining us today. Please check out our website at ebenezerbaptist.ca to connect with us and learn more about our ministries. I hope you enjoy the message. Well, good morning, Ebenezer family and friends. Thank you for joining Ebenezer online today. Today's service is going to be powerful. One of the things we have is an amazing testimony of baptism by one of our college and career students. So make sure you stay logged in to the very end. Now, for those who are new to us, I'd encourage you to take a quick look at our website sometime today so you can find out more about our church and our ministries. As you know, with the latest government restrictions, we have made the decision to suspend all programs and move exclusively online into the new year. Although this is not what we were hoping would happen, uh, the truth is, is that we're all more prepared than we were back in March. I know this is a challenging time for us. It's a challenging time for everyone. And I'm concerned for those in our church family and community who are finding themselves alone and isolated and feeling disconnected today. And this is a time for all of us to step up and take responsibility for our church family. This is also a time when many of us are feeling COVID weary and it's easy to be discouraged. It's easy to be done with online church and drift away from our faith community and our God. And if you're feeling that way, I understand, but, but don't let it happen. Let's persevere. Let's persevere together. Let's work hard to stay connected with God and with each other and encourage others to do the same. So even right now or at the end of the service, why don't you just call or email or text or FaceTime someone who you haven't seen for a while and just let them know that you're thinking about them and praying for them. If you're not sure who to do and who to call, just ask the Lord, who needs to be encouraged today and listen to Him? Can you do that? We all need to find ways to connect and care for our family. Now, if you'd like to connect with us, you can call our church office or reach out to us by texting our church number, which is 306-249-0084. Type the word church and then click the link that you receive and it'll take you to our main directory. Now, just a few announcements before the service begins. Uh, First of all, Our home hubs and our small groups are no longer able to meet in homes with the new restrictions. However, if you want to continue to connect in a safe and socially distanced space, we will be opening our church for that to happen. And if you want to make use of that, simply call the church office and talk to Darla to book your space. But remember that space and times will be limited for those things. Uh, Second, in this season, we're looking at uh, developing a phone calling team to connect with our church family. And if that's something that you think you can help us out with, why don't you just contact us at the office and we'll get you set up for that. Christmas is upon us. Uh, Today is the first day of Advent. And uh, unfortunately, our Christmas services this year are going to be online, but they're going to be fantastic. And we're looking forward to a much more intimate setting as we share those things. And then lastly, just about worship. Uh, With the new restrictions, we're not able to have a full worship team to record. And so we are going with a more intimate time of a solo artist and guitar, piano. And so uh, hopefully you'll be able to worship along with us as we we, uh, worship God together. So have yourselves a great day and enjoy the service. Let me just uh, begin this morning with a word of prayer as as we begin our service. So let me pray. So Father, uh, we love you because you first loved us. We, we know that you are the God who is the God of all power, the God who is in control, the God who has an unfolding plan, the God who 
um, always has been and always will be. And we, we put, put our trust in you. We know that you see us. You see what's happening around the world. You see the things that are happening in our hearts and minds, where we're encouraged, where we're discouraged. You see the brokenness of people's lives. You see the, the illnesses that are, that are impacting people. You feel the grief of those who, who have lost loved ones, even this past week. And so, uh, God, we, we just come to you and we just say that, that we need you. We need you to show up in our lives. We need you, even this morning, to speak to our minds and our hearts. We need you, Spirit of God, to encourage us. We need, we need you to remind us of your word and your promises. And God, we need you to, to help us to learn to love one another in this season. And so, God, um, we just open our, our arms and our hearts right now, and we just say, we want to receive. And so come and teach us today. Come encourage us today. Come and speak to us today. And help us to worship you uh, with all our hearts and our minds. I pray your protection upon our church family, not just physically from COVID, but uh, mentally and spiritually and emotionally and relationally, all the things that matter to us. The God that you would uh, guide us today and through this season. And so we commit ourselves to you and we trust in you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning and welcome once again to Ebenezer. My name is Cal and I'm delighted to be able to share with you a few thoughts this morning. Now with the new COVID restrictions announced this past week, we find ourselves strictly online once again. Now that might be disappointing for many of us, including us here as, as staff, but let's make the most of it. Remember that just because we are not able to gather together doesn't mean we still can't be connected. So even right now, if God lays someone on your mind, on your heart, go ahead and send them a text or give them a call and just let them know you're thinking about them and praying for them. We also need to know that today is the first Sunday of the Advent season. We have our Advent wreath here with our first candle lit. And so especially during this Christmas season, let's reach out to those that maybe we haven't seen for quite some time. And let's continue to remain connected during this time of separation. Now, over the last six weeks, we've been in a series that we have titled, Why Jesus? And we've been doing this deep dive into the words of Jesus about himself, found in John 14, verse 6, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, it is this statement, along with the great commission of Jesus, found in Matthew 28, that forms our mission statement as Ebenezer. And here's how it reads. Our mission is to point people to Jesus and help them know and follow him. We point people to Jesus because we believe he is the way. And not just the way to God, but the way to reconciliation, to justice and restoration. He is the truth, not just the truth about God, but the truth about humankind and this world. And the life, not just eternal life, but a better and fuller life to live. Now these statements aren't just catchphrases we use to try to get people's attention or in our, you know, in our feeble attempts to have a cool or hip website. They form the heart and core of who we are and what we're called to be and to do as God's people. And our prayer is that we, the Ebenezer family, would embrace the mission of God as individuals, as family units, as smaller home hubs or smaller communities, and together as a church, and to see the world and our worlds, that wherever God has placed us, transformed by the power of the gospel 
as we grow in our relationship with God, as we train and equip ourselves, and as we go to those that God has sent us to. Now, over the past six weeks, we've taken time, three weeks each, to, exam to closer examine each of the claims that Jesus makes about himself, starting with the first two, that he is the way and the truth. Now, I won't do a review, but if you haven't had, had a chance to listen to those messages, I would encourage you to do so. The bottom line in all of these messages is this. Is it true? Is what Jesus said about himself, about truth, about life, and so on, are they true? See, this is a question each and every one of us needs to ask. And what you decide about Jesus is and will be the most important decision you will ever make, bar none. Your career choice, where you choose to go to school or where to live, even who you decide to marry, all of those decisions don't even, don't even enter into the conversation. Your decision about Jesus is the most important decision you will ever make. So let me encourage you to base it on truth. Base it on what is true. Jesus says about himself, he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. No one can have a relationship with God the Father except through him. This morning, we're going to look at the last of Jesus' claims, and that is that Jesus is the life. Jesus is life. Now, I want to begin our message this morning by picking up where Pastor Layton left off last week when he talked about Jesus being the truth of all things to come. Jesus revealed the truth about the end of life and the end of the world. Now, remember that Pastor Layton noted that Jesus spoke words of comfort and hope to the faithful, he spoke words of warning and caution to the faithless, and he spoke words of invitation and calling to those who are seeking. And then when it comes to the end of the physical world, I think I can summarize uh, Pastor Layton's kind of key points simply by saying that the end of the world will come. There will be an end to our physical lives, and there will be an end to our physical world. But again, here's the key. Jesus taught on what was to come for exactly that reason. There is more to come. The end of our physical lives is not the end. The end of the physical world is not the end. There absolutely is more. The book of Ecclesiastes, written by the wisest person ever, Solomon, King Solomon, really is a quest to find meaning and purpose in life. Early on in the book of Ecclesiastes, we read in chapter 3, verse 11, He, speaking of God, has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. You see, what this means is that we are all wired to really wonder and to ponder what happens beyond our physical existence. It's that nagging feeling that we all have, that there must be something more to life than what we see or experience in the here and now. No matter what part of the world you come from or you grew up in, no matter what cultural beliefs you have had, no matter when in time you existed, humankind has always asked questions like, what is the meaning? What is the purpose of life? What happens after we die? Where is true happiness and satisfaction to be found? 
Now these and so many other questions can only be answered truthfully and satisfactorily in Jesus. Philosophers, religious leaders, other deep thinkers throughout all of history have tried to answer these fundamental questions, but any answers outside of Jesus will always come up empty. Now some of the options presented from human wisdom or human truth will include options like, well, there's really nothing that happens when we die. We actually cease to exist both physically and, and there's no spiritual uh, existence. So, so we actually just don't know anything. We just cease, we're done. Some believe in some form of reincarnation, that we come back as someone or, or something else. And often what or who we come back as is determined by how we live in our present or current life. Those of you listening, many of you may are, maybe are choosing to believe those options. But the question I want to pose to you again is simply this. Is it true? You see, what you believe to be true about eternity, whether there is an eternity or not, should determine how you live your life in the present. So for instance, if you believe that once you die, once your physical life ends, there's nothing, then why not get everything you can? Why not live for every pleasure you can experience? Why not do whatever you please and whatever you want? If there is no existence after this one, to me, it actually only makes sense to fulfill every wish and every desire and every pleasure that you might have. Absolutely go for it. This was Solomon's quest, and this is why he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. If you believe in reincarnation or some form of that belief, then maybe you would do your best to live a so-called good life as who or what you come back as is determined by how good a life you live now. But then who or what defines this so-called good life? And do we actually come back? Hebrews would disagree with that mentality. As the writer of Hebrews says, just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, you see, Scripture teaches us that we only have one life to live, and then, according to Scripture, we face judgment. And, that is how we, uh, and it is how we are judged that determines our eternity. Now, in our mission we say Jesus is the life, not just eternal life. And this is absolutely true. We're going to take a look at some of these other aspects of life in the week to come. But Jesus, our statement says Jesus is the life, not just eternal life. And because Jesus is the life and not just eternal life, we have to understand what this means and what the significance of it is. However, for this morning, I don't want to jump to the conclusion that we all understand and appreciate the significance of what eternal life really is. You see, if you've grown up in a church setting or in a Christian culture, you've probably heard these words over and over again. Eternal life, eternal life, or everlasting life particularly when you look at scriptures such as John 3:16, which says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal or everlasting life. But do we really understand first the meaning of eternal life, second, the significance of eternal life, and third, the key question we've been asking in our series, that, that why Jesus? So, to begin this last series of messages, Why Jesus?, I want to look at three aspects of eternal life that I hope will not only help us understand better what eternal life really is, but I pray 
And I'll encourage you to make the decision to follow Jesus and commit your life to Him or challenge you to live in your present life in the context of eternal life. Why Jesus? Because Jesus is eternal life. Now, I don't remember exactly when I was first introduced to eternal life, but I'm sure it was when I was a very young child. I grew up in a Christian home. I was taught all the Bible stories and verses. I went to church and to kids' clubs all the time. And I'm sure a verse like John 3.16 would have come up. I do remember, however, talking to my parents and trying to, trying to grasp this concept of eternal life. I remember imagining heaven and the streets of gold and the pearly gates as described in Revelation 21. I remember wondering if in heaven I was going to be able to fly like Superman or if I have superpowers like all my favorite comic book heroes. I wondered if my time would be filled doing all the things I love to do and eating all the foods I love to eat. If you were to ask me today, I wonder if there's going to be seafood in heaven. And I wonder if I'll be able to play volleyball whenever I want, but with my 25-year-old body, not, not my current one. What do you think of when you think of eternal life? What ideas, what concepts come to mind? You see, if eternal life only means that one continues to live where you live now, doing the things that you're currently doing, running the rat race of life for all of eternity, then I'm not overly excited about what this eternal life is promised to us by Jesus. It doesn't really sound very exciting, very appealing. So, what is eternal life? Now, the first aspect of eternal life I think we need to understand is that eternal life is not just a quantity, it's a quality. Often the first understanding we have of eternal life is the idea that we're never going to die. So we're, we're focused on the eternal aspect of it. Our thoughts go to uh, a, an unending amount of time. It's a quantity of time that, that is unending. Now, the Greek word for eternal in Scripture is aeonios, excuse me, which means more than just unending. It also focuses on the quality or the characteristics of that which is unending or eternal. Now, when it's paired with the Greek word zoe, meaning life, but not just our physical, biological life, rather zoe refers to our spirit, our soul. It's really the essence of who we are as a being created by and created in the image of God. Eternal life then actually refers not just simply a life that never ends, but a fullness of life that is unending. Here's the key. All of us will exist for eternity. Christ followers, non-believers, atheists, agnostics alike. All of us will exist for eternity. Death is not the end for any of us. Eternity is the destiny for every human being. However, the quality, so to speak, of that existence is what separates those who choose to put their faith and trust in Jesus and those who choose not to. See, the focus is on the life, not on the eternal. In Matthew 25, Jesus is teaching about what is going to happen at the end of time and referring to those who choose not to follow and not to obey Christ or follow Him. He says, then they, those who choose not to follow Christ, will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous, those who choose to follow Christ, to eternal life. The key aspect of eternal life, once again, is not the eternal part, it's the life part. Every person either experiences eternal life or eternal punishment or death. 
Now, eternal punishment, eternal punishment in hell are really not easy things to talk about, even though they are important and they're clearly biblical. Pastor Layton mentioned last week about how uncomfortable we can be when we bring up this topic. But that doesn't mean it isn't real. Since Pastor Layton made some great comments on this last week, I won't go into detail today, but let me just say this. Scripture describes hell, even Jesus describes hell in Scripture, as a place of eternal torment, of eternal burning fire, of wailing and weeping, and ultimately a total and conscious eternal separation from God and the blessings of God. But hell was not created for us. It was created for Satan and the demons that chose to follow him. See, God also gives us a choice. If we choose to follow him in this physical life, then we'll be welcomed by him into the eternal, forever to be in his presence and to enjoy his blessings. That's eternal life. However, if one chooses not to follow him in this physical life, then God really honors that choice. And just as that person will choose to reject God now, God will simply allow him the consequence of his choice for an eternity. And they will spend eternity apart from God in hell, in this what is described as eternal punishment or eternal death. It's really your choice. Eternal life is not just a quantity of time or a quantity of life, it's a quality of life. And eternal life is found in Jesus and in the presence of God, enjoying his presence and his blessings forever. Why Jesus? Because Jesus is the quality of eternal life. And the second aspect of eternal life I think we need to understand is that eternal life is not primarily what we do. It's who we're with. Jesus defines eternal life this way. In John 17, uh, verses 1 to 3, Jesus says this. So after Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that your Son may glorify you. For you granted authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now, this is eternal life. That they know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus' description of eternal life doesn't first focus on what we may or may not be doing. It's focused on the presence and therefore the knowledge of God and the knowledge of himself. Now, since eternity exists outside of time and cannot be measured using time standards, we might consider eternal life knowing God and Jesus this way. God is an eternal God, an infinite God both in his existence and in his character. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Now, as human beings created by God and created in his image, we have an innate desire to know the one we were created by. To know an eternal, infinite God would take, well, an eternity. Let me try to illustrate what I'm trying to say here. Michelle and I have been married for just over 28 years now. We first met in the fall of 1990 at Briarcrest uh, Bible College. Now, when we first met, did I know Michelle? Of course not. Now, I was attracted to her for many, many reasons, 
but I really didn't know her. We dated for a period of time, six or seven months at Briarcrest, which equates to about four years of real time. But after that time, and after that time of dating, we got engaged about a year, a year after we, we met each other. Now, did I know Michelle then? Well, certainly better than when we first met. A year after we met, I knew her well enough that I wanted to make a commitment to her and spend the rest of my life with her. Eight months after our engagement, we were married in July of 1992. Did I know Michelle better then? Yes, but I, I still didn't really know her or really uh, deeply. Every year that goes by, I learn more and more about my wife and my love for her grows and grows. Now, 28 years later, 28 and a few months, I know Michelle more than I've ever known her and I love her more than I've ever loved her, but I still don't know everything about her. You see, it would be impossible to know an eternal God fully within the restrictions of time. To know an eternal God would require an eternal life in the presence of God. Now, the idea of knowing God is something we should also take a closer look at. It's not simply knowing things about God, like we're doing a theological study. In the John 17 passage we just read, the Greek word for know is gnosko, which simply means to know through personal first-hand and intimate experience. It's not like reading a textbook account about some historical figure. It's taking that figure and spending years with that person, day and night, talking to them, interacting with them, watching them, modeling after that person. So the primary purpose of eternal life is to know God. But how are we going to do that? How are we going to know God more and more, deeper and deeper? Are we going to sit around at God's feet and have him tell stories to us, like when we sit at the feet of our grandparents maybe and hear all the stories of, well, back in my day, won't that get boring after a while if we have to do that forever? Well, what we do in heaven flows from who we're with in heaven. The Bible doesn't fully answer this question, but one thing is absolutely clear. Eternal life, eternity in heaven with God will not be boring. Now, here are just a few things that Scripture teaches us about what we will be doing in heaven. One, we will be worshiping God. And I don't mean singing songs. You might find yourself, well, I'm not a very good singer. I don't even really like singing. Worship is far more than just singing. But we will be worshiping God. Revelation 5.13 tells us that all created things, including us as human beings, will be praising and worshiping God along with the angels and other believers from every nation on earth. Two, we will feast and we will eat with the Lord and the rest of his people. Three, we will be together with other believers. Everyone who has put their faith in Jesus Christ will be in heaven, including the saints of scripture. You know, as a side note, this is why there's so much hope for believers who pass on before us and for their families who remain behind. If you, your loved ones know Jesus, then know that even if they pass from this earthly life, you will be reunited one day. You will be. It's an absolute guarantee. Fourth, we're going to celebrate. Think of the, the, the most awesome party you've ever been to. And I don't mean the kind of parties you might have been dragged into as a teenager. But Revelation 19 and verse 9 and other passages describe eternity in heaven and in the presence of God as a party as a celebration. It's going to be the biggest party ever thrown, and we're going to love it, and this will be what we will do. And fifth, 
we will continue to serve the Lord. So there's a close connection between worship and service that will continue on the other side of life. We don't fully understand it now, but if you've put your trust in Jesus, then one day you will not only get it, but you will experience it as well. And here's another note. Whatever it is we do in heaven, it will be fully satisfying to our souls. Who we're with and what we do in eternal life will meet the deepest needs of who we are, who God created us to be. Uh, most of you know that Pastor Kelly is a guy who, who loves to work with his hands. He gets great joy and satisfaction out of, uh, you know, tearing apart a motorcycle and putting it back together again. He loves to do home repair and home renovations and fix things. Me? I get little to no joy or satisfaction out of any of those things. I get joy out of, uh, say, cooking and preparing a meal that is enjoyed by family and friends. Perhaps in heaven, Kelly will have a little garage or home renovation center somewhere, and I'll have, I don't know, a little diner or something, but it'll be something else, that's for sure. In John chapter 4, Jesus is traveling through Samaria, an area where Jews generally don't travel. As Jesus rested by a well, a Samaritan woman comes to the well to draw water. Now, without getting into the details of the, and the nuances of the story, Jesus eventually offers this woman what he calls living water that Jesus says to her will never cause her to thirst again. Now, the woman doesn't really understand what he's referring to. So the woman asks, well, what is this living water? Of course, if, if there was water I could drink where I'd never be thirsty, I, would, I don't need to keep coming to, to the well to draw water. It's so much effort to walk and, and lift and so on and so forth. The woman says, well, what is this living water? Where do I get it? And Jesus responds. He says, everyone who drinks this water the physical water from the well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them, the living water, will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. You see, our physical needs and desires, like thirst, but certainly deeper, like the very innermost needs of our heart, can be temporarily satiated with physical water. But that need will come again, over and over again. Even as I'm speaking now, it'd be great if I could have, have a sip of water because I'm starting to become thirsty. But our, our deepest desires, our desire to, to love others and to be loved, our desire for purpose and significance and meaning in our lives, can and will only be met in the presence of God and Jesus Christ in heaven or in eternal life. So why Jesus? Because eternal life is not primarily what we do, it's who we're with. And what we do will meet the deepest needs of our heart. Now the third aspect of eternal life we need to understand might be the most important aspect for each of us as we listen this morning. And it's simply this. Eternal life is not something to come. It's available right now. A Sunday school teacher was teaching her young class of grade two students about heaven. So she asked her class, she said, if I took all my things, my house, my car, my clothes, everything, and sold them and gave all my money to the poor, would I go to heaven? And the children kind of knew the answer and they all yelled in unison, no. Well, the teacher continued, what if I cleaned the church every day? And what if I went and served in the soup kitchens and helped all the poor people every weekend? Would I go to heaven? The children yelled out again, no. She continued, what if I gave all my money to the church? 
when I go to heaven? Once again, all the children yelled together in unison, said, no. So then the teacher posed the question, then how do I get to heaven? Well, there was silence in the classroom. And finally, a young, small voice from the back shouted, well, first, you got to be dead. Actually, eternal life isn't something that only begins after you die. It isn't only experienced in what is referred to as the afterlife. It's available to you right here, right now. If eternal life is, as I've shared with you today, that it's not a quantity of time, but a quality of life, that it's not primarily what we do, but who we're with, then eternal life is available to anyone who wants it right now. In fact, eternal life begins, eternal life begins when one recognizes the truth of who Jesus is and receives by faith his gift of salvation through his completed work on the cross and commits their, to living their lives in love and obedience to his commands, then you have eternal life. You are free from eternal death and your eternal life in Christ has begun. If you look at Jesus' teachings on eternal life, you'll see that Jesus spoke regarding eternal life in the present tense. For instance, uh, well, and then another reference in, uh, by John in 1 John 5 uh, verses 12 to 13, he writes, whoever has the Son has life, whoever does not have the God, Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have, present tense, eternal life. Everyone who has committed their lives to Jesus Christ, Christ's followers, can enjoy eternal life in the present and that eternal life continues with God after our physical death. I want to conclude today with a simple invitation. And that is simply to enter into this eternal life that God has made available to each and every one of us. You can know from this moment today, right now, that your eternity after this physical life is over is secure and you will be in the presence of God forever. Know that you can experience the joy and the fullness, purpose and meaning and hope and peace of eternal life beginning right now. All you need to do is receive God's gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. Romans 10 tells us, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you're watching today and you've never made that decision, you can make that decision right now. You can experience eternal life with Jesus Christ right now. Let me close with just a few verses. Our key verse, John 14, verse 6, says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus. John, uh, sorry, Romans 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is eternal death, separation from God. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. 
John 17, verse 3. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. If you've never made the decision to follow Christ, why don't you do so now? What's holding you back? If you'd like to talk to somebody about that, contact us at the, at, uh, here at the church office. We'd love to chat with you. We'd love to get together with you as we're able to during these times in order to chat with you. If you're someone who is walking away from Christ, then can I encourage you to turn back to Him, to enter back into His presence, and to receive all the blessings that come from knowing and walking with God? And if you're a Christ follower already, then live your life in light of eternity, investing in the things that will last, modeling your life after Jesus Christ. Why Jesus? Because Jesus is eternal life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your words, words of truth. And when Jesus said about himself that I am the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father except through him, Father, we take that to be true. And we thank you for the gift of eternal life. Not just a life that never ends, but a life that is full, a life that is meaningful, a life in your presence where we enjoy the presence and the blessings of God the Father for an eternity. Father, if there are those this morning who are listening who do not yet know you, who have not made a decision to follow you, I pray that your Holy Spirit will work in their hearts and would speak deeply to them, reminding them of how much you love them and how much you long for each of them to enter, to make the choice to enter into this eternal life, life with you. And Father, for those who are listening who may be struggling in their faith or turning away, I pray that your Spirit would convict them to help them recognize that everything the world offers is nothing but, but rags, and what you offer is true riches. And for those of us who are walking with you, I pray that you would just renew us with this truth each and every day, so that we walk closely with you. Father, we live for the things of eternity, and we commit ourselves to the things that will last forever. Father, you indeed are the life, the eternal life, and it is only found in your Son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, hey, Ebenezer family. Today we have the great joy of celebrating one of the uh, most wonderful opportunities we have as a church, uh, as a church body. And that is a cel uh, the celebration of baptism of, by one of our family members uh, who is uh, publicly identifying themselves as a Christ follower. Now, baptism is one of the ordinances of the church, as it is a command given to us by the head of the church, Jesus Christ. When an individual is baptized, they are identifying themselves as a follower of Christ, that they've made that decision to receive his free gift of salvation. And through the waters of baptism, in the uh, immersion and then uplifting out of the water, they're identifying themselves with the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But note that baptism is not just for the individual. Yes, they are publicly declaring their faith. However, we as their church family are also declaring that, we are, uh, that they are part of our family. And now our responsibility as a church family is to help guide them in their spiritual journey. So when you see these individuals uh, that have been baptized, they'll be sharing their testimony and the baptism in just a moment. Uh, but when you see these individuals, pray for them, encourage them, 
uh, help guide them in their spiritual walk. Surround them uh, with your presence in a smaller setting so they can grow and mature in their faith. We all have a responsibility in this. It's a great joy to celebrate baptism, and it's a great joy to be a part of a church family together. Enjoy the testimonies and the baptism. I grew up in a Christian home. My parents are missionaries and have been for about 23 years now. They were missionaries in India for 16 years, and both my younger brothers and myself were born there. But we're originally from South Africa. So I lived in India till I was about 12, and then we moved back to South Africa and lived there for five years, and then we moved here to Saskatoon about two and a half years ago. I am extremely grateful for my parents who taught me what it means to be a follower of Jesus and who were always there for me my whole life. Mom and Dad, thank you so much for everything. I couldn't have asked for better parents than you. I'm really sorry for all the mistakes I've made over the years. Thank you for always showering me with love, even when I don't deserve it. I hope you know that you were a core part in helping me grow in my faith, and I love you so much. And thank you, Simeon and Benjamin, for always being there for me. I'm sorry that I wasn't always the best older brother. I hope you know that I love you so much and that you mean the world to me. I was about three years old when I gave my heart to Jesus. I can't really remember it too well, but my dad tells me we were busy riding my dad's little scooter on the way to school in the middle of the extremely busy roads of Varanasi, India. I suddenly told my dad that we need to stop the scooter immediately because I wanted to give my heart to Jesus. My dad initially didn't think it was such a good idea to stop the scooter in the middle of the road. But the more I told him that I need to do it now, dad tells me he realized that somehow I just knew deep inside that I needed to do this now. So my dad pulled onto the side of the road and I gave my heart to Jesus right there in the middle of the busy road in Varanasi, India. But I think the truth of who Jesus is really started to become real to me when I was about 16 years old. We were, we were living at a Bible college in South Africa at the time where my dad was a lecturer and a missions coordinator. This meant that dad was involved with many missions groups that came to the Bible college from all over the world to do missions work in South Africa. This included a yearly group of missionaries from a Bible college in North Dakota. This particular year that the group came, I really connected well with them and made some lifelong friendships. During this time that they were in my life, I really felt the reality of who Jesus is become real in my life, as I got to know this group of young Christians who were so fired up for Jesus. But a little while after the group had left, I started experiencing a lot of doubts about my faith. It was terrible for me. I didn't understand why this was happening to me. I had always felt like I had always had my faith to hold on to, but now it was suddenly being taken away from me. That's how it felt to me. And that just after I really felt my faith growing. I couldn't see a way out. But after what felt like an incredibly long struggle, Jesus helped me through it. He showed me that nothing could ever separate me from him, even when I couldn't even imagine a way out. He'll always be there for me. Since then, we moved to Canada and I recently graduated from high school this past school year. 
But since last year, I've been, I've been feeling really unsure about my future and what I want to do. I've got some lofty dreams, but it's all kind of uncertain right now. Being uncertain about my future and my dreams has been a real struggle, struggle for me lately. But I believe Jesus is teaching me that I shouldn't find my security in anything but him. I'm coming to the point where I realize that my hope and joy and peace comes from Jesus, no matter my circumstances, and that I want to surrender my whole life to him, including all my hopes and dreams. I want to follow his will for my life above all. So today, I want to publicly declare that Jesus is my Lord. And that I yield my whole, whole life to him. And that I place all my hopes and dreams and my whole future in his hands. And I trust him with everything. Thank you, Jesus, for everything. Thank you that you were always there for me. Thank you. Thank you for the grace that you showed. Thank you for the, thank you for the grace that you've always showed me. Thank you for the grace to know you and for what you did on the cross for me, even though I so do not deserve it. Please help me to give my whole life to you and to spend the rest of my life chasing after you and growing in relationship with you. Please help me to move forward and help me to become the man you have called me to be. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is an incredible privilege for me as a father to, to baptize Reuben. And, and I'm going to just ask him some two questions. Uh, Reuben, uh, do you take Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior? I do. Okay. And you're making this decision all by yourself? I am. Okay. And uh, because Jesus commanded us to baptize and we want to be obedient to him and to just serve him with with everything that is in us i'm going to baptize you reuben and uh, i baptize you in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit amen Well, thank you for listening. Don't forget to check out our church website at ebenezerbaptist.ca. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can let us know by clicking like and by subscribing to our podcast channel. God bless you and thanks for listening.